The scripture reading for this morning can be found in your pew Bibles on page 968. It's the passages Matthew 13, verses 1 through 23. Please rise for the reading of God's word. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Those seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell in rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who receives the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. This is God's word. Thank you, Bruce. I'm still reeling from the fact that I've been mispronouncing Lawrence's last name for the last two months, so a thousand apologies, my friend. Thank you for correcting me. Go ahead and keep your Bibles open to Matthew 13. A uh, while back when I was uh, at Stop and Shop on my way home, uh, picking up something, I don't know what, I remember a book uh, catching my eye in the checkout line. Uh, it was uh, published by Time Life. It was one of those, uh, I think, supposed to kind of be like a coffee table book slash journalistic thing. And it was called, Jesus, Who Do You Say That I Am? Uh, so it was a, a 
quote, journalistic description of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, his legacy, informed by, quote, the world's greatest scholars, theologians, and religious figures. And so some of the answers that this book offered for the question, who is Jesus?, I think that what he was doing was creating a movement of empowerment for peasants, telling them that you must take your lives back into your own hands. You must learn to heal one another. Jesus says to them, I do not have a monopoly on the kingdom of God. Go and do likewise. John Dominic Crossan. Another one, Jesus is benevolence personified, an example for all men. John Adams. I think his system of morality and his religion is the best the world ever saw or is likely to see. But I apprehend it has received various corrupt changes and I have some doubts to his divinity. Benjamin Franklin. One scholar suggests that pretty much everything we think we know about him is but, quote, the trappings of Greek mystery cult ideology. The kind of stuff supposedly invented or imported by Paul. And another... Jesus was, quote, a failure in all sorts of human enterprises. He changed nothing. So basically, the only power he had at the end was the power of abdication, choosing to be martyred. The message that Jesus is the true king of heaven and earth, the message of the Gospel of Matthew we've been studying together, elicits all sorts of different responses Even within this room, I can imagine there's all sorts of different ideas and responses to that question, who do you say that I am? We've seen uh, several different reactions to Jesus right here in the Gospels that we've been looking at uh, in the last few chapters especially. From suspicion uh, of both both the crowds and even Jesus' close friends in chapter 11 to the disputes about his authority or his uh, his authority over the Sabbath, or whose power was really at work in him? Was it Satan, or was it the Spirit? Or to Jesus' confrontation with the skeptics that Pastor Bruce walked us through last week. There are a lot of different responses people have to the message that Jesus is King. As we come to chapter 13 this morning, which is the famous chapter on the parables of the kingdom... Jesus now shows us where those different responses come from. But he does so in a a somewhat curious way, by using parables. So kind of short stories or sayings, metaphors, proverbs, parables, like the sower and the seed that we just heard read. Matthew 13, 1 through 3 reads, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake, large Crowds gathered around him uh, so that he got into a boat and, and sat in it while all the people were on the shore. Kind of a nice little amphitheater type thing there. And he told them many things in parables. Now, this isn't the only chapter where Jesus uses parables, but this thing is loaded with them. Parables of the kingdom, which raises a question, why? Why speak in parables? His disciples wondered the the exact same question in verse 10. They asked him, why do you speak to the people in parables? Now, the answer that we usually hear to that question 
is that Jesus was trying to clarify to them what he was talking about. He is the model communicator. He's always using illustrations, uh, stories to make things clear. Now, it's very true. Jesus is the best communicator ever to walk on the face of the planet. And he often did use parables in that clarifying way. You think of the parable of the Good Samaritan or the parable of the prodigal son. But if we listen to Jesus' answer to the question of why do you speak to them in parables, it's not so simple as that. There are several layers to how parables work and why Jesus sometimes uses them. If you look at our passage, you'll notice that the way it's organized, the structure, it begins with the parable of the sower in in verses 3 through 9. And then a few verses later, that same parable is explained in verses 18 to 23. But in between the giving of the parable and the explanation of it, you have this conversation between Jesus and his disciples about why he's using parables like this. And it's only after Jesus explains how they work that his disciples are ready to hear the explanation of what that parable means. And so the first thing I want to do this morning is to look at the purpose of the parables in this chapter in particular, verses 10 through 17. And then second, we'll look at the message of the parable of the sower itself, what Jesus is showing us with that parable. And we're going to see that you know, the different reactions that people have to Jesus are not primarily a matter of study or intellect or even personal experience, but they are ultimately a matter of the heart. Whether that heart is softened and ready to receive the message of his kingdom, or whether that heart is shallow or strangled or just plain shut. How someone responds to the message of Jesus and his kingdom reveals the condition of their heart. So let's pray together and listen to this passage. Lord, it is your voice we want to hear today. It's your voice. So we pray by your spirit that you would indeed give us ears to hear. By your grace. And open to us what you're saying in this word. In your name, amen. Look with me at verses 10 through 12. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. It's kind of a strange answer. Why does Jesus speak in parables? We see two reasons in his answer here. To reveal and to conceal. To reveal the mysteries of God's kingdom to those who belong to it, those who are on the inside, the people whom God graciously calls to himself. And to conceal it from those who don't belong to his kingdom, those on the outside, those whose spiritual senses have been dulled and numbed, whose hearts have become hardened by sin and judgment. So the parables are kind of like 
stained glass windows in a church. Now, obviously, we don't have stained glass windows here in this building. A lot of churches do, and the church I grew up in did. And, and each of those windows told a different part of the story of the gospel. So there was Jesus' nativity in one window, and, and, and maybe his feeding of the 5,000 in another, then his uh, Last Supper and his death and his resurrection, his baptism, all these different parts of the story. And if you're inside the building and the sun is shining outside, those windows come to life. They're bright. The, the story that they're telling is just set on fire. It's made clear and brilliant. But if you're on the outside of that building, looking at the exact same window at the same time, it's dark and opaque. You can't see what it, what it looks like. The parables are very much like that. If you're inside the kingdom of God, belonging to God's people, the parables open up the mysteries of God's kingdom. But if you're on the outside, they actually make it hard to see. What's he really saying? They reveal or they conceal depending on where you're standing. Or to use the imagery of the passage, depending on whether you have eyes to see and ears to hear or not. And we see both of those functions in these verses in 10 through 17. They begin and they end by talking about Jesus' desire to reveal the secrets of his kingdom to his disciples. Again, verse 11 the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you. And then verse 16, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth that many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but did not see it and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So Jesus wants to make the mysteries of his kingdom known to his people his followers. He wants to, uh, he wants them to know what's happening, what he's come to do, and he wants to correct a few uh, of the expectations his people had about how God was going to establish his kingdom, how he would fulfill what he spoke through the prophets long ago. So ways that the kingdom would grow. Uh, the people expected that that it would grow with a kind of a zealous purity with maybe even violence and force like all other kingdoms were grown but jesus says no it's going to start off secret and small and it's going to grow slowly the way a mustard seed grows or the way leaven fills a loaf until the whole earth is filled with his kingdom and only then will vindication come so jesus wants to reveal the secrets of his kingdom to his people and the parables help him do that to those whom God is calling to himself, those standing on the inside, the parables open up the mysteries and the beauty of his kingdom. The one, to the one who has, more will be given. But he also wants to conceal those secrets from those on the outside. Those whose spiritual senses have been dulled by sin and judgment. To those who remain in their sin, the parables shut down understanding. From the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, you read something like that, you have to stop and ask why. Why would, I mean, if Jesus is coming to establish his kingdom throughout all the earth, why wouldn't he want 
to make the secrets of that kingdom known to everybody. This brings us back to the sometimes uncomfortable subject of divine sovereignty versus human responsibility. The same thing we encountered back in chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. So on the one hand, God has complete sovereign control over all of human history, every detail, including those who are saved and come to him in faith. Jesus said back in Matthew 11, 27, no one, come, no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. God is the author of our salvation and the finisher of it, which means he's the one who gets all the credit for it. It's all of his grace. We bring nothing to the table except for our sin. We have no claim on God but for what Christ has done in the cross. Those who follow Jesus don't do so because they're holier or because they're smarter and they did all the research and figured out who he really was and these poor schmoes over here aren't. It's all of grace, all of grace, period. Yet, on the other hand, every human has a real responsibility to respond to Jesus' call with faith and repentance. And so Jesus says in the next verse in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The invitation is to everyone. We have a genuine responsibility to respond by trusting him and turning away from sin. Come to our passage in chapter 13. Jesus emphasizes divine sovereignty when he talks about how the parables reveal. But then he emphasizes human responsibility when he talks about how they conceal. If you look at verse 13 with me, this is why I speak to them in parables. Because though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts in turn, and I would heal them. So Jesus conceals the secrets of the kingdom from those who are on the outside, those who are under judgment because of their sin. He's not sharing his game plan with them. He's not letting them into the secrets of how this is really going to work. And as he describes them here, they are those who, because of their sin, have lost their spiritual senses. They are the fulfillment of what the prophet Isaiah was sent to go preach to Israel back in Isaiah 6. Israel had become so enslaved to their idols that the the false gods that they worshipped, gods made of wood and stone who had eyes but couldn't see and ears but couldn't hear and mouths but couldn't speak, they'd become so enslaved to their idols that they had begun to become like them in their sin and their judgment. Their spiritual senses started mimicking the dead gods that they worshipped. They lost their ability to see spiritual realities. They lost their ability to hear the message of God's kingdom. Their hearts became closed. So Jesus 
wants to speak about the mysteries of his kingdom. And he wants to do it in a way that both reveals it to those who are part of that kingdom and yet at the same time conceals it from those who aren't. And so he uses parables here. And which raises a, a big question for us. Where am I standing? Where are you standing as we look at the parables? Am I in the kingdom or outside? And how do I know? Well, that brings us to the parable of the sower, which helps us answer that question. As we said at the beginning, it's not ultimately a matter of intellect or experience, but of the heart. Jesus gives the parable in verses 3 through 9, and then he explains it in 18 through 23. So here again, the parable of the sower. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell among the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on the good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Notice how that parable ends. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's that same language of sensory perception. Jesus wants to reveal the message of this parable to those who have the spiritual ears to hear it, to those inside his kingdom. And then notice again how he begins his explanation in verse 18 in the same way. Listen to or hear then the meaning of the parable. Jesus wants us to hear. In fact, this whole parable is all about who has ears to hear, who doesn't, and why. That's what he's explaining here. Why are there so many different responses to Jesus and the message of his kingdom? If we look at the explanation in verses 18 to 23, we, we see what the parable's talking about. So the seed is the message of the kingdom. It's the word of the kingdom. The message that Jesus really is the sovereign king of heaven and earth. God's son, our savior. And as that message, as that seed is sown, it lands in four different soil types, each of which represents the human heart. And those four soils show us four different responses to hearing the word. Three of those soils are unproductive. One of them is productive in three ways. 30, 60, 100 fold. Why do we see so many different responses to the message of Jesus? Again, there's no question our, our background, our, our questions, our, our, our study and experience. There's no question that those things shape how we approach the Bible and its message. But underneath that, what Jesus is telling us here is that it all depends on the heart. 
on the condition of our heart. And how we respond to that message of his kingdom is what reveals the condition of our hearts. So I want to look first at what we learn about the three unproductive soils. The kind of soils, the kind of hearts that, that, that don't take hold of the word and bear fruit. What James Boyce calls the hard heart, the shallow heart, and the strangled heart. So first, the hard heart in verse 19. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So the first response to hearing the message of the kingdom is that it goes nowhere. It bounces off the soil. Now, the problem is not with the seed. It's, it's not that the message is broken and that we need to fix it. We need to kind of update or change the gospel, make it more acceptable. The problem, rather, is twofold. First, the hardness of the path such that the seed cannot sink in, so the heart is closed toward God, and the swiftness of the enemy who's hovering around looking to try and intercept that message as it goes. If we think of the Gospel of Matthew and the different responses we've seen to Jesus' announcement of his kingdom, and we think about, okay, who might this soil represent? You know, one of the first characters that come to mind in our story is the Pharisees. You know, the, those who accused Jesus of working for Satan. Those who demanded signs but refused to believe the signs they'd already seen. Uh, their hearts were callous. Their spiritual senses were dull. So the message bounces off them like dropping a seed on a sidewalk. It just. But we could probably identify others in this category as well. Sometimes the crowds react like this. Sometimes people in Jesus' own hometown, as we're going to see when we get to chapter 14. But who among us is in this category? That's the question our hearts need to ask. Where is my heart? Is our heart closed to the possibility of God or to our need for a Savior? We may anchor that rejection in all sorts of reasons, but when someone hears the message and flat out rejects it, what Jesus is telling us is that ultimately it's a problem with the heart. It's a matter of the heart. The next is the shallow heart, verse 20. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. And sadly, we probably all know people that, that might fit into that category. Only God knows the heart. We're not the judge. It's not our job to figure out what kind of soil each heart is. But when we look at the fruit, we probably all know people who've, who've received the message of God's kingdom with joy and, and much excitement only to hit the eject button when life got hard, when trials came. It's short-lived because it has a shallow root. It's not really anchored in the sufficiency of Jesus and who he is and what he's done, and what he's doing, it's often instead anchored in what we thought Jesus would do for us. 
And when life then disappoints, we're done with him. The root was too shallow to weather the storm and bear fruit. That's the shallow heart. Third is the strangled heart. Verse 22. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. Again, this response seems to begin with, you know, at least some sort of acknowledgement that, yeah, okay, Jesus is king and such. He hears the word, but it's unable to bear fruit because his allegiance remains with a different kingdom, his own, his own kingdom. The worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth. Honestly, it's the stuff we spend most of our days thinking about. How am I going to pay the rent? When am I going to get a raise? Uh, when can we move into a house like that? You know, we, we've heard that all of this actually belongs to somebody who made it and that, that he actually came down into it to claim us as his own and rescue us and rule us in his grace. But we're so fixated on our own life, our own problems, our own dreams and desires that we just don't ever get around to giving him any attention or honor Our hearts are fixed on our own kingdom instead of his. This is the strangled heart. It's too caught up in this world to receive the message of Jesus. So three out of the four soils are unproductive. All of them bearing evidence that this heart doesn't belong to God. Friends, I want to invite every one of us To search our hearts. When you hear the announcement. That Jesus Christ is God's eternal son. That he is the rightful ruler of this world. The one who will make good on all God's promises. Who who alone is worthy to be worshipped. When you hear the message that you stand guilty before him of sin that you are guilty of high treason against heaven, such that apart from him, you are deserving of the full weight of his wrath in hell. When you hear that Jesus Christ lived and died in your place, that he gave his life in exchange for your life, drinking the cup of God's wrath that you deserved and draining it to the dregs such that if you cling to him in faith, there is no judgment or anger left for you. When you hear that on the third day, Jesus Christ rose from the dead and conquered death and offers new life, eternal life to all who turn away from sin and turn to him in faith, life in God's presence, enjoying God's blessing reveling in God's beauty and glory for all eternity in his heavenly new creation where everything that's wrong in this world will finally and fully be made right. When you hear the message of the kingdom, what does that do to your heart? Ask yourself that question. God is not asking us in this passage to change the soil of our hearts. As with chapter 12, he's asking us to own it. 
to own whatever condition our heart is in. God's the one who has the power to change it. He's the only one. He's asking us to listen, to hear the message of his kingdom and to search our hearts as to how they respond. And if you find when you look honestly that your heart is hard or shallow or strangled, take that as a challenge and not a conclusion. Take that as an invitation to life, not a sentence of death. Ask God, call upon God for his mercy to change your heart and receive Jesus as king. And then there's the soft heart. Verse 23. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. This is the heart prepared by God to receive his word and respond in faith and obedience. This is the one who has eyes to see and ears to hear. This is the heart that is keenly aware of its own sin and its desperate need for a savior. That is humbled before God, that has no claim on God, nothing to boast in except the grace and mercy given at the cross. This is the heart that trusts in and treasures Jesus. And it's the heart that's changed by God in order to bear fruit for God. And so to show oneself to be his disciple. As the message of the kingdom, as the message of the gospel of Jesus, as that takes root in our hearts, it changes everything about us. It changes our allegiances to Jesus and not to self anymore or something else. It changes our hopes and our dreams, what it is that occupies our minds and our desires to see his kingdom come, not our own. It changes our affections to, to long and long for and to love what he longs for and loves and to give our lives to show his love and to exalt his glory. Pastor and author Jared Wilson describes this transformation of the heart. When the heart treasures Christ and savors his power, sin grows bitter. The work of the gospel in our hearts creates radical displacement of self and radical transference of affections on sovereign King Jesus. When we are awakened to the glory of the gospel, how can we not do this? Our spouses, our sports, our jobs, our children, our art, our hobbies, our churches, our neighborhoods, our technology, and our favorite television shows are not before all things and holding all things together. They are not the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And they do not uphold the universe by the word of their power. But Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, is 
and does. The soft heart hears the message of Jesus and his kingdom and responds with faith and perseverance, with humility and joy, and begins a journey of being changed by God to bear fruit for God in every area of life. Knowing that no matter how hard the enemy pushes against us or how painful our trials become or how alluring be the things of this world, we have in Jesus a greater and more powerful Savior who is with us and who is worth it to follow whatever the cost. How we respond to the message of God's kingdom reveals the condition of our hearts. May God in his mercy give us soft hearts and may he fill them with Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, once again, we ask for ears to hear. We recognize that as a gift and we long for it. We praise you for that gift that you have given to those you have rescued, those who belong to you. We long for others to share in that gift, God. Lord, soften our hearts and fill them with Jesus. We ask it in his name.